You can be seated. Hi, my name is Lori Beth Huffman. I'm the senior pastor here at Boone United Methodist Church, and we are so glad that each and every one of you are here. Um, so, what an amazing worship experience we're having this morning, and I want to invite you to join me now to hear God's word for us this morning. So I'm going to read a bunch of verses from Romans chapter 12, the whole chapter, 1 through 21. Um, but I invite you to listen to what Paul has to say to us this morning. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, this is God's word for all God's people. Thanks be to God. Good morning. 
As I said before, my name is Vern Collins. For those of you who have come in uh, since we started, I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Boonie Iron Methodist Church, and I have uh, the privilege most weeks of being in our Crossroads worship gathering uh, and, and also helping people connect um, in smaller groups through our community groups and other uh, Bible study opportunities. As we begin this morning, I want to invite you to consider a question, and that is what guides your life? What guides your life? As summer is winding down and the start of another school year is imminent, like it is barreling down upon us, um, there are any number of ways that we could answer uh, that question. And, and what is interesting about that is that while all of us are entering some variation of the same season starting tomorrow or in the next couple of weeks, the way that we would answer that question is as varied as there are people in the room. For some of you, the answer might go something like making school lunches. Making school lunches guides my life. <laughs> Extracurricular activities, soccer practice, football practice, dance, art class, piano lessons, that guides my life. And then if you are a parent who is guided by all of those things, your next answer would be laundry. Laundry guides my life. But maybe you're out of the I have kids in school season, right? And, and you're thinking, just trying to spend time with loved ones. That's what guides my life right now. Or if you are starting um, school tomorrow, if you're starting college tomorrow, or maybe returning after some time away, the thing, the way that you answer that might be connecting with people guides my life, building relationships. Or if you are nothing like me, uh, like I was in college, then you might say going to class guides my life. <laughs> That's important to me. Until I hit midterm, then the thing that guides your life might be to wrestle with the question, how long can a person actually go without sleeping and still live? Perhaps the thing that can be most frustrating about this at any given point in your life is that you feel like you're having to adjust to something new that you feel like is guiding you. But have you ever considered the fact that there's a distinct difference between what guides your life and what is simply occupying your time? Our hope for everyone in this room or everyone who is listening to us via one of our media platforms is that you would find in life with Jesus one who not only is unchanging, but who patiently and lovingly and with persistence invites you to allow him to guide your life in such a way that you find deep fulfillment and purpose regardless, regardless of what is occupying your time. To that end, because that is what we desire as a church, that everyone comes to know the fullness of life with Christ, we are guided by our mission of loving our community, and inviting all to discover life in Christ. Everything that we do is filtered through the question, is it helping us accomplish this mission of loving our community and inviting all to discover life in Christ? For us as Boone UMC, we believe the way that God has called us to specifically live out the mission, the commission that he gave to his followers to go and make disciples is by loving the community around us, and that is the local community and the greater community, and inviting all to discover life in Christ. It doesn't take a very long look at the early church as Luke records it in Acts to see that there were some key fundamentals and, and priorities that helped the early church keep focused both on, on Jesus and on what Jesus called them to do and to be. And as we begin this new school year, this new season that always feels ripe with possibility, we are going to journey together through examining what some of these priorities or characteristics of the early church might have been. 
and what it might look for, like for us to lean into making these things a priority for ourselves as we seek to live out this mission that God has given us. The title of this 11-week series that we are jumping into is called Ambitious Church. Because when you consider the brokenness that exists in this world, it truly is ambitious to believe that the church can still make a difference. It is ambitious to think that the church can still be a part of transforming lives and bringing God's kingdom here on earth. And as ambitious as this may seem, we we have the promise that Christ will not leave us or forsake us as we seek to live into this. We have the promise that Christ will not leave us or forsake us as we seek to accomplish the work that he has given us to do, this world-changing work of advancing his kingdom. And we get it. You may be sitting here thinking, yeah, it's, it's ambitious. It's ambitious because I don't need 11 more things to add to my life of trying to follow Jesus. I'm having a hard time remembering to say my prayers at night. It's ambitious to think that I need to add something else to my life that's going to help me be a part of the church. But I want you to consider something. In a world that is constantly making demands of all of us, A life spent following Jesus in connection with his church is not simply meant to be another burden. It is meant to be freedom. We find this captured in Paul's words to the church in Rome. We see this in the opening verses that Lori Beth read in our passage this morning. This idea that uh, anything that we take up in our lives as being pleasing to the Lord. Anything that we might do that draws us closer to God is not so that God would be more pleased with us. It's not so that we can earn some love of God's for us. Rather, it is in response to all that God has already done on our behalf. All that God has done before we ever did anything to earn it or deserve it. Everything that is meant to shape and define our lives as followers of Jesus to shape and define who we are as a church is meant to flow out of us in response to who God is and all that God has given us. We have this tendency to define Christianity as this, this um, burdensome code of ethics we are meant to try to keep. But as one commentator defines it, our ethics, our attempts at shaping our lives after the life of Jesus is not a burden. It is about gratitude for all that Christ has done for us. Paul's instruction here is really a simple one. It's that you go all in with all of your life lived in response to what Christ has done for you. Eugene Peterson captures it this way in the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. So I love that idea that it's our response to this amazing God that is um, why we do what we do, and it is because of God's grace. So it's not this quid pro quo, right? It is a genuine response of gratitude to what God has done. And so... I have a couple of observations from these first couple of verses, and we talked about this. We could both preach two different sermons just on verses one and two. We're not going to do that today, but we could. There's that much that's there. But 
one thing that I think is so interesting is the connection to this rhythm that Vern's already talked about. This rhythm of heading back to college, heading back to school. For those of us that are not in the school life, this rhythm of moving out of the summer routine into our normal work patterns or this feeling of this change of season as fall approaches. So there's this invitation that we have from Paul here to really take some things into consideration over these next couple of months of change. And one of them is this uh, idea of worship and how we worship. So Paul talked about sacrificial worship, and I know that I am personally glad that when we're done preaching, Vern and I are not going to come down here and prepare ourselves to re receive your dove and lamb blood sacrifice offerings, because I'm pretty sure if that was part of the job, this girl would be out. Um, yes, the custard and white would not be what I need to be wearing today. But he, and he's not, and Paul's not talking about sacrificial worship. His point is, it's, it's us. Like, we're the offering. We're the sacrifice. To, to just, to present ourselves to God is what pleases God. And another way I like to word this is to just be present. When we are present, when we show up, that pleases God, makes God so happy. And showing up is important. It's really important. We already talked about, I'm sure all of us showed up to every single one of our classes when we were in college, or not. Um, but showing up is important. And when we talk about that in reference to our faith, we mean we're showing up for our prayer time with God. We're showing up for our worship of God. We're showing up to serve others on behalf of God. Because when we do that, that's what allows God's grace to shape and form us. That's what allows us to be transformed. And that's the other thing in those first couple of verses that Paul talks about, this conform, transform. So I'm actually just finishing up my first year here at Boone United Methodist, and this event today is my last new thing that I hadn't experienced yet before. And I am so glad to be able to cycle through all of that. But can you remember a time when you were new somewhere to an experience or to a setting where you were looking around going, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? And you, you want to conform to the behavior of those around you to make sure that you are behaving appropriately. And for those of you that have never walked into this space before, uh, you, I know, have been standing when others stand and sitting when others sit and speaking when others speak. And I'm doing the same thing. I am conforming and observing for my first student day to make sure, especially this whole team preaching thing. It's awesome. I love it. But it's new. And so I'm conforming. We are conforming to what's happening around us. But Paul would say, wait a second. Be careful. Because it shouldn't be about conforming to the behaviors around you to dictate what your choices are. But instead, be transformed. Use your minds. Be transformed and learn from those around you so then you can make decisions and choices for yourself. So it's different when we are just trying to get oriented to a new situation 
versus when we allow others around us to dictate what our behaviors are. And we have a chance over these next several months to be transformed. In fact, that's what the rest of this passage talks about, is what does it look like to be a transformed Christian in our own Christian communities, to be a transformed Christian out into the world. And so um, with that in mind, uh, as we continue to paint this picture um, using Romans 12, um, Vern, I wonder what in that this next section jumps out to you as important about the Christian community? Before I answer that, I feel like we really missed an opportunity um, with you. I forgot to tell you that every senior pastor before you has come out in a clown suit mm. and welcomed everybody. <laughs> I didn't hey. think about the fact that this was your first yeah. time doing this, right? It's just to make people feel welcome. I can rock the red clown wig, though. Although, I don't know, depending on how you feel about clowns, that might be really uh, (laughs) off-putting. So the verse that really grabs me and won't uh, leave me alone in this is uh, is verse 5. So in Christ, Paul says, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. These words are in in many ways, I think, a prophetic challenge uh, and an invitation for much of the world for where many of us feel like we are and and the thing that we feel like we might wrestle with. I am becoming increasingly aware of and and actually really interested in this idea that though we are arguably more connected than at any other point in the history of the world, for all this connectivity, we have never, ever been lonelier. As an article from The Atlantic a few years back uh, captures it, Our omnipresent new technologies lure us toward increasingly superficial connections at exactly the same moment that they make avoiding the mess of human interaction very easy. While none of us would argue that human interaction can certainly be messy, what we must understand and what we must see in Jesus is a loving God who put on flesh and actually entered into the mess with us. And here's the thing, the mess that we work so hard to try to hide from those around us and the mess that we like try to avoid from from other people, you know, you say, hey, how are you doing? And then hope that they don't really tell you how they're doing. Fine would be a great response. (laughs) That mess is actually the thing that is common to all of us. It is actually one of the things that connects us as people. The thing about Jesus, who enters into that mess with us, is that yes, he comes to redeem it, but more importantly, to offer us hope in the midst of it. And that life that Jesus offers us is not a life that is free from the mess of of humanity, but a life that finds meaning beyond ourselves in the midst of it. A life that that can actually take that mess and give it purpose, give it an eternal value and an eternal worth. And the thing about walking that life is that none of us, none of us are called to try to walk this life of following Jesus and allowing him into our mess. None of us are called to do that alone. We are meant to walk with one another. We are invited into the mess together. Only in scripture, it's not called a mess. It's called a body. And it's not just any body. 
It's called the body of Christ or the church. My hope is that we would all find in the church for all its imperfections, a place where we realize that because of Christ, we each belong, we each have value, we each have worth, none of us have to earn our place, and we each are given a beautiful role to play. That's the thing that really captures me. That's awesome. Thanks. You know, part of the text here also is just, it's, it's, there's familiar words, so it's easy to gloss over. We hear the part about spiritual gifts, and we're like, oh, yeah, we know what that means. And we hear about the body of Christ, and we're like, oh, yeah, we know what that idea means. But there's something I want to make sure we don't gloss over here as we're talking about what helps to make Christian community, Christian relationships distinctive. And that idea is that uh, when we belong to a community, because that belonging is so important, but when we belong to a community, it does not mean that we then become uniform, that we all have to be just like one another. Uh, there's diversity within that unity, and I think that's a beautiful Christian concept. One of my favorite animated movies is Despicable Me. And I love the minions. And when you think about the minions, and if you look at them, like, they look like hundreds and hundreds of yellow creatures that look exactly alike, sound exactly alike. But actually, when you look at them, they are actually different expressions of the minion selves. And we are too. We are different, creative, beautiful expressions of of. Uh, one another, and we were not meant just because we connect into community to become just like one another. And in fact, one of the responsibilities of the church is to help us figure out what are the different and unique gifts that we have and what are ways in which we can use them. So um, I think we would all agree when we think about being part of a distinctive community that if we're going to give something our time and our energy we want it to be meaningful and significant. That's important to us. Um, our time in our life is, 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 is worth so much to us. And so uh, one of the things when we hear these scripture verses that might go through our mind is, okay, Paul's just describing what it means to be a good person. And we learned what that was in kindergarten, right? So, so what? Ah, but here's the so what. This is why this is so important. Because when we live out these Christian teachings, these behaviors, then we have the opportunity, the unique opportunity to reflect Jesus to the world. To reflect Jesus to the world. And here's what I mean by that. Verse 9 says, love must be sincere. That we should, uh, one another translation says, we should love without pretending. Oh my gosh, that sounds awesome, and it is super hard to love without pretending. Especially when you think about how many thousands and thousands of dollars are spent to try and send us messages, uh, to try and pretend to be someone other than who we are. Whether that's through makeup or clothing or plastic surgery or excessive exercise plans or diet plans. And yet what this is saying is, first of all, I can be loved for just who I am, and I can love you for just being you. And when we do that, friends, what have we done? 
When we live that kind of love without pretending, we are reflecting Jesus to the world. In the end of verse 9, it says, honor one another above yourselves. What? We're told to take care of ourselves first, right? But Paul talks a lot about humility. And one of the things I like to say here is let's be careful we're not mixing up our ego with God's grace. And what I mean by that is we take a lot of credit sometimes for what we do, what we accomplished. And, 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 yet, and yet what's actually going on is God's grace is working through us to be able to solve these problems or to be our best selves. And so let's be careful that we are not taking credit for what is God's grace working within us. So when we exercise humility, what are we doing? We're reflecting Jesus into the world. He goes on to say, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Patient in affliction? Are you kidding me? I have a friend whose hip is hurting right now, and it is really messing her up. And she can't exercise and be active the way she wants to. And it's driving her crazy. And I assure you, there is very little patience in her affliction right now. And to share with those in need, not with those who deserve or have earned our generosity, but to share with those in need. Y'all, when we live out these teachings, all of these are opportunities for us to reflect Jesus into the world. And when we do that, that is a chance for us to be distinctive. That is a chance for us to um, show how our Christian, uh, uh, the spirit working within us, our Christian choices um, can, can help us to be Jesus to those around us. And the other thing this says in here that I really appreciate, the whole, one of the whole arguments he makes is that the world is actually worth engaging. Unlike some groups that pull themselves out, like the Amish that just separate themselves from society, Paul would say, oh man, you are missing an opportunity. You're missing a moment here. That instead, we have um, the, the, the chance to engage and interact with folks, and that this is important. If someone is upset, then we should empathize with their pain. And if someone is excited, then join in with their joy by all means. To do our best to live in peace with one another. And that sounds so counter to, again, the messages we receive that try and create binary choices and an us and them world. Last night, I received a text from my cousin. Um, he lives out of state, and he is really struggling. Life has been hard for him the past several years, and, and he's just wrestling. And he texted me, he said, how would you deal with someone that wronged you so badly that you would have come to blows if someone hadn't stepped in? I was like, oh, dude, this sermon that I'm preaching, the scripture that we're working with today speaks right into this pain that you have. But I understand that my cousin is incredibly angry right now, incredibly angry. And so uh, I shared with him, I said, this is, this is what I've been working with today and thinking about and reflecting on, and, and you're probably not going to like it. It says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Someone broke into his house, stole his money a few weeks ago. He knows who it was and can't prove it. Don't repay evil with evil. Um, don't take revenge. It's not yours to take. Let God handle that. 
And then the kicker, if your enemy is struggling, help them out. Oh, hard, hard teaching here. And his anger won't let him wrap his head around this. But if we're able to let our anger, to, to, to kind of bring it aside, or our frustration, or whatever it is, is that's keeping us from living into these teachings, what we discover is that they're actually quite liberating. That when we can live out these teachings, it turns the world upside down. And it absolutely is distinctively Christian choices and behaviors that we make, especially to those who might cause us harm. And when we do that, y'all, then that is love without pretending. It is not easy, but it is aspirational. This is what we aspire to do. So we're not perfect. We're not going to get this right every time. And maybe most importantly of all, this, this is why we need to show up to God in our prayer life. Show up to God in our worship life. Show up to serve others. Because when we do that, we're like a sponge that just absorbs all the grace that we can. Because make no mistake about it, how in the world can we do these things that Paul is asking us to do without God's grace working in our lives? We can't. But when we show up, we allow God's grace to pour over us, then, then we have the ability to make these distinctive choices. Um, that reflect Jesus to the world. I love that you focused on, on grace, Lori Beth, because without, without God's grace, we have no hope of being distinctly different in this world. And honestly, without God's grace, there would be no purpose in the church being distinctly different in the world because we have nothing worth offering to the world. If our focus is simply to offer great programs, guess what? There are a ton of organizations that do that. And if we are honest, there are a ton that do it way better than we do. So it is God's grace that is both the source of our ability to be different and the thing that we offer in seeking to be different. I love these words from Brennan Manning. He says, my message unchanged for more than 50 years is this. God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be. Because nobody is as they should be. It is the message of grace. A grace that pays the eager beaver who works all day long the same wage as the grinning drunk who shows up at 10 till 5. A grace that hikes up the robe and runs breakneck toward the prodigal, reeking of sin and wraps him up and decides to throw a party. No ifs, ands, or buts. This grace is indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. Grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all our might to try to find something or someone it cannot cover. Grace is enough, he says. Jesus is enough. This life-changing reality is at the core of Paul's instruction to the church in Rome to conduct themselves in a certain way in the world. Blessing and not cursing, living in harmony Choosing humility, turning the other cheek, doing what is right, living at peace with everyone, not taking revenge. All of these things are meant to flow out of a life that has experienced the liberating, transforming grace of God. And are meant to be for the world a tangible example of that grace for everyone. And we have to deal with 
last piece before we wrap, wrap up, the real talk. For as many of us who have experienced the beautiful absurdity of this free, undeserved gift of God's grace in our lives, we have this tendency. If we are willing to try to practice what Paul is, is encouraging us with here, we have this tendency, especially to those who hurt us, to offer this grace with strings attached. We want it to cost something for those who have caused us hurt. We're like, I am only loving you because Jesus tells me I have to. And I'm going to do it, but I'm going to make sure that you know that I don't like it. (coughs) If we are honest, this might just be what frames how we read verse 20. We don't want to feed our hungry enemy or give our thirsty enemy something to drink until we read that in doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head. Then we're like, oh, please give me an enemy to love. (laughs) I will love the heck out of them. I will love them to pieces if it means that they will get burning coals heaped on their head. And as much as we might like offering this painful kind of grace, that is not at all what Paul is talking about here. It's not why he is pulling example from from Proverbs. This idea of heaping burning coals on someone's head was not this idea of punishing them with love and grace. Instead, it is about loving them and serving them in such a way that their conscience is awakened to the possibility that there is something more. That there is something worth living for beyond themselves. It is about loving and serving the world around us, about loving our enemy in such a way that they are awakened to God's love for them. Awakened to the fact that things don't have to be as they are. Awakened to the fact that that there is possibility, that life can be full, that they are loved, that there is more. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says that all of us who are are transformed, all of us who have taken off the old and put on the new are actually now ambassadors for God in this world of the love of Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. What are we ambassadors for exactly? Why does it matter that we seek to live in a way that is distinct from the rest of the world? Why this ambitious call for us as a church John captures this in his vision in Revelation 21. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. When we read the Gospels, when we see the story of Jesus, we realize and can see clearly how Jesus feels about death. To a girl who is proclaimed dead, Jesus says, wake up. To Lazarus, who was in a tomb, Jesus said, not yet. It's time for you to come out and breathe life again. (coughs) This is what Jesus offers each one of us. Life 
in the midst of the dead places in our lives. And it's what he invites us to as the church, to bring life to a dying world around us, a world that is actually being made new at the same time that we as the church are being made new. It is a beautiful and compelling invitation. And our hope is that all of you will journey with us to living into that. Amen.